We're going to start in Acts chapter 2, and we're going to take a couple chapters. Not, not all the chapters, but we're going, to, um, we're going to follow a story through the book of Acts. But as Travis was saying, generosity is, is hard. And as we've gone through this series, we've, we've been, you know, we've been called to devote ourselves to things. We've, we've seen God manifesting in his church. And we're talking about this year how we can engage in different ways. But I think this week, this is the first week where we're really called to give something, which is awesome. Because we love giving, especially when we don't get it back. And generosity, what God calls us to with generosity, is an amazing thing that, that was birthed out of the awe that they saw in God. And like Travis said, we, we struggle with generosity and especially with, with money. And I was trying to understand why. Like what, what is it about money that we, we have such a hard time with? Is it, is it that it's tangible and that we can see it and feel it and we can buy things with it? Retail therapy is a thing. I understand. I don't, you know, so what, what is it about money? And, and my, my dad likes to tell me this story about a time that he, uh, he was talking with a marriage counselor, and uh, he was just kind of asking, and, uh, and the marriage counselor said, you know, it's interesting because couples will be fine talking about their sex life and intimate and, and all those things, and then when you get to the finances, a couple sessions in, they're like, whoa, 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 you got to back up. That's way too personal now. And, he's, and he, understand, he, you know, he understood that finances and our money is something that we hold so closely. But I was also trying to understand and trying to, you know, figure out where I'm stingy. Because I, I would say, and I, you know, and I hope that's true for you, but I would say I don't have a problem being generous with my money. I think for me... And, and don't, don't make fun of me or anything like that. I'm going to be vulnerable here, transparent, okay? I think for me, where I'm stingy, and this is where I get greedy, are my books. I love my books. I love, if you were here uh, when I preached last time, that's the way I fellowship. I mean, we're going to have book sales back soon, people. And if you want to come with me, we're going we're gonna to fill them up. But I go to the 50 cent book bin at, at Bull Moose, and that is my happy place. And I love that. I go, and it's 50 cents. Like, it's not even costing me a lot. And I get to pick through and get my books. And for a while, we rented out part of our house on Airbnb. And I wanted to be a good host to these people. And, and we were, you know, we were doing good business. And so we would set up a bookcase right outside their room as a gift where every guest that came through could pick a book and kind of take it with us. And we were trying to be good hosts. And now I had my private shelves that you couldn't touch. We weren't giving those out. That was closed and locked and safe. But I had these books. But every time someone would leave a review or or comment about a book that they took, I feel like a piece of my soul was getting ripped out, and they were just stealing from me. 
So I made sure that they gave me a five-star review because, like, if I'm giving myself, like, you better give me a good review. But that is where I am stingy. I love to hoard my books. Some of you maybe are like that. There's never too many books that you can buy, you know? And don't ask me to lend them out. But anyway, 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 anyway. We, our, our default as humans is, is greed. It is, I, I'm going to hold on to this. I've, I've got this. I can handle this. You know, God might want me to give some things away. But, but I, 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 can, I can deal with this. I can, you know, let me hold on to this. And it's not always money. It's not always money. Because I think we struggle sometimes with generosity is that we've been hurt. And we'll be fine giving money and writing checks. But don't ask me to pay you a compliment. Don't ask me to invite you over to my house for dinner. Don't ask me to mentor you, to spend time with you. Don't ask me to open up and be vulnerable with you. Don't ask me to trust you. Don't ask me to pray for you. Because I've been hurt, right? So many of us have been hurt before when we've been generous. And, and now we're skeptical. And I think that's true in the church. I think the church so many times has done a bad job betraying people's generosity. So if, if you hear Summit starting to raise money for a private jet, you can come to us and, and just, like, that's where we draw the line. We will not ask you to be generous and pay for our private jet, okay? Because there's been evangelists that have done that. Unfortunately, we'll fly coach. That's okay. We'll make that sacrifice. But, but as, our, as I had said, the, the root of generosity, and when we look at, at, at radical, and that, this came up at if, where, I mean, they raised over a million dollars. Like, you want to talk about generosity, funding a Bible translation. Like, just so amazing. But, but one of the things that they were saying was, with radical is that it's it, the roots of it and getting back to the root. And so we need to get back to the root of generosity and see what it's really about. Which really, generosity is a response to the awe of God. Generosity is a response to the awe of God. And we'll, we'll have a definition where generosity is freely giving more of something than is necessary or expected. Generosity is freely giving more of something than is necessary or expected. In the early church, they were generous in the response to the awe of God because of his generosity towards them. So I'm going to read Acts chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, uh, sorry, 42 and, and 43, uh, just to get us back into kind of where we've been. So starting with verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, 
attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Right? So we've talked about awe last week and how our generosity is a response to that. But I think it goes even one step further back um, where it was out of the awe of what God had done through sending his son and his spirit that it spurred them to generosity. The first thing that they did was devoted themselves, right? To the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the fellowship, to the prayers. They made a deliberate, intentional commitment to devote themselves to it. Where they were set. This is the thing that they were going to be about. Every day where they were talking with the apostles and hearing their teachings and their their devotion produced awe. Because when we tap into the things of God, when we devote ourselves to prayer, to breaking bread, to fellowship, to the teaching, it produces awe, like Travis was talking about last week. And out of that awe, when we see and fully grasp what God has done for us, out of that comes fruit, and out of that comes generosity. Because we're not going to force you to give, right? Right? And as, um, when, we, when we take up the tithes and the offerings, we say, if you feel led to worship God that way, we're not going to force you to give because it's not about what you give, it's about how you give. If we're giving for the wrong reasons, then we're not giving the way that God wants us to. It should be out of the overflow of seeing what God has done in our lives that drives us to be generous. And we can look all through Scripture and see ways that God is generous, ways that God poured out His blessing on us, going all the way back to the garden, where God gave them everything that they needed. He was generous in providing everything that Adam and Eve needed. Right? He didn't need to create the garden to the extent that He did. I think about all of the different plants and animals, all the fruit and vegetables that he gave us. I mean, he could have created one kind of animal, and that was it. What if all he did was just create cats? And that was it. So, okay, so I'm hearing, I'm hearing yes, and I'm hearing boo. So I think we have some strong opinions about cats here. Now imagine if you were allergic to cats, and that was the only kind of animal that God had created. But God is a generous God. He gives us so much. I think of all the planets and stars and galaxies and the expanse of God's creation. How he blesses us in that way. I think of the way that God was generous with Abraham and Isaac on Mount Horeb when Abraham was ready to sacrifice his son and God provided and was generous and provided a sacrifice. He was generous with the Israelites when he provided water from the rock in the desert. And then when they asked for more, God was generous and provided manna from heaven so that they could eat. And then when they asked for more, God was generous and he gave them quail. He was generous to the Israelites when he delivered them, uh, when he delivered their enemies into their hands as they were as they were conquering Canaan in the promised land. 
or battle after battle. The one where he was generous and, and made the sun stand still so they could conquer. As God was going before them and just laying out the path for them, he was generous in sending prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet to warn them when they were going astray. And God gave them so many chances to call them back. God is a generous God. He gives us so many blessings, so many riches in him. And it's out of the overflow of that generosity where the church was literally given God himself through the Holy Spirit in us that they were motivated to give. But we get tripped up and I want to, before we dive into this, because we're going to go over to, to Acts chapter 4 in a little bit, but I want to, I want to pause here for a second, because I think we get tripped up, and, and it's all well and good, but, but I know that we've had experiences. And I know that we're not always generous in the way that God wants us to be. Because we don't devote ourselves. We don't develop awe. And that's why we don't see fruit. The church... However, they didn't see their possessions as their own. How could they? The kingdom of God was infinitely more valuable than anything they could possibly hope to hold onto. And when they got to that place where they saw the gospel, when they saw how important it was to be about God's work, their possessions didn't matter anymore. And they had the proper priority the missionary Jim Elliot, he said this, he said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool to give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. God has so much in store for us, so many blessings when we give and are generous but we struggle. We say, God, I can't, I can't hold on to this. And I think some of it is, is just the devil whispering lies into us that we can't, we can't manage without this thing. We can't, we can't hold on. We can't prosper unless, unless it's ours. I can't be generous because I have my priorities and I've got plans for this. Trust me, whatever you're unwilling to give away is not worth holding on to. When we get to heaven, we're not going to look around and say, this is all right, this is good, but you know what? I am so glad I went with a bigger house, with a nicer car. I'm so glad that I didn't volunteer at that church event, because my time was so, just so much better spent. When we get to heaven, we're going to be like, oh my, I was so selfish. I cannot believe that I made this about me. And we're going to realize, I could have given so much more of myself if just that one more person could experience this. 
And we're going to realize all the ways that we were selfish and stingy and greedy when we enter into heaven. We're not going to be thinking about how crafty we were and how good we were to protect ourselves. We need to understand the heart of generosity. And so out of this, in chapter 2, where we saw people selling their possessions, in the end of chapter 4, in verse 32, we're going to see the first example of Barnabas. Maybe some of you know who he was. Key player, key person in the beginning of the church. But he literally took that and he is the example that they lay out of somebody hearing this and doing it and so in verse 32 now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own but that they had everything in common And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as they had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. He wasn't forced to do that. It's like I said, he wasn't forced to give. There was no compulsion. But here was a man who had and gave. And the first thing I want us to see in this life of Barnabas and the generosity that he showed is that generosity involves giving. Duh. Pretty straightforward. You can't be generous and not give. And I wanted to start with the most tangible, the most physical one. And look at the way that he gave. Because there's a few things in this that we see. The first is that they were united. And, Paul, and Barnabas was un, unified with the church in their mission. When we're on the same team, when we're playing together, and we have a common objective, a common goal, it's not I have mine and you have yours. Right? Right? We, sh- we share. The resources are the same. We have such an individualistic mentality today where I need to protect mine, I need to take care of myself. But if we are truly unified in the work of the kingdom, what, what I have doesn't matter. If it can go to furthering the kingdom and supporting somebody and helping somebody else, Mine and yours are insignificant at this point. Those words mean nothing. Because we're unified 
And the second one, the second thing we see about Barnabas giving and being generous physically is that he was unselfish. He was unselfish in his giving. If you want to take a note and and go back to this later in the week, you can spend time in chapter 5 and you can kind of see that a little bit there if you've got your Bible open where there's selfish generosity. Because you can be selfish in your generosity. Did you know that? I'll give if I get my name on the building. I'll give if I get recognition. I'll give if I get something back. So often we don't want to give unless we get something out of it. But Barnabas was unselfish in his generosity. He gave freely and he gave it all. And the third thing in Barnabas' physical generosity was that he was unafraid. He was unafraid. Because one of the things that drives us and holds us back from being generous is, is a fear of what happens when we give our things away, when we give ourselves away and are generous. Are we, be, are we going to be able to survive? Are we going to be able to, to live the way that we want to live? I mean, if you really want a question that's going to tickle your ears this morning, has your generosity led your life to be any different? Is your life any different? Is your standard of living any different because of the generosity that you show to others? Does your calendar look different because of your generosity? Does your bank account, does your standard of living look different because of your generosity? And there's a fear there. I get it. But as Paul says in in 2 Corinthians, God loves a cheerful giver. And we can be cheerful when we give, when we understand the joy of being set free from those things that tie us to this world. We're afraid to give because it has an unhealthy, we have an unhealthy attachment to things. The second way we see generosity lived out in the life of Barnabas is if you jump ahead to chapter 9 in the book of Acts, we see that generosity involves risk. And Barnabas was not afraid to risk in his generosity. And he wasn't just generous physically, but he was generous relationally as well, which is a risk, and many of you know that. Many of you have been burned when you were generous with your relationships. So we're starting in in, uh, verse 26. Where Saul is coming on the scene. He's not yet Paul. But Saul went through his conversion experience. He's been on his own kind of trying to figure out uh, his life. (laughs) It got a little turned upside down. You know, maybe just a little bit. But he's, he's coming into this scene. And we'll start with verse 26. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him. Is it any wonder? I probably would too. I don't know that I would want someone in my fellowship that had just been persecuting us. 
Was he a spy? Was he trying to infiltrate the church? Why was Paul, why was Saul all of a sudden trying to get in with his disciples? It's a very natural response. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas, what a guy. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So I understand God's sovereignty in in the history of the church, but I'm thankful for Barnabas because of Paul. (laughs) And I don't know, I'm sure God would have figured it out, but would we have had Paul without Barnabas? who was already established in the church. He was already a figure in the church. But was willing to put himself on the line, put his reputation, put his status, put his position on the line for someone like Saul. As I was reading this, something really stood out to me in this text that I want you to see. Starting in verse 27, But Barnabas took him, And brought him to the apostles and declared to them on the road he had seen the Lord. How on the road he had seen the Lord. Barnabas is the one that was telling the story. He had sat down with Saul. He had taken the time to hear this man's heart and hear this man's story. And said, I'll go to bat for you. I believe you. And I'm willing to advocate on your behalf in front of a church that's afraid to welcome you and let you in. That's a generosity. Do you see that? Do you, do you see that? To say, I know who you are and I know where you've been. Now I think about what, if, what would have happened if Saul had really not been transformed and had come in and just overthrown the church that was Barnabas's fault really he was on the line and he was willing to step out and be generous Barnabas risked himself for the sake of Saul you know you did this with me (laughs) South Coast did that with me and my family. We were a young couple coming from a failed church plant. Not much ministry experience. And you welcomed me in. And you gave me a chance. And you gave me an internship. And you gave me a job when you really couldn't afford it. And it was a step of faith to bring me on staff. And I'm standing here today and I'm saying thank you for your generosity in my life. I hope I'm paying it off. (laughs) Because I don't feel qualified. And I think of Paul, 
standing there before these people that were doubting him and saying, please give me a chance. And, and Barnabas was willing and said, okay, let's go. We have to remember that the fruit of our generosity can take a long time to bloom. It could take a long time before we see the fruit of our generosity. Maybe even before we're even in heaven. I mean, like, but, you know, we might not see the fruit of our generosity until we get to heaven. I believe that. But I think of the beauty, and, 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 and I can't prove this, but I want to believe that when we get to heaven, we're going to see all the people that are there because of our generosity. That God's going to do this thing where he's going to connect us and open our eyes, and we're going to be able to see that when we were in church and there was a team going on a missions trip and we gave sacrificially and supported them and they went to that foreign country and preached the gospel and someone got saved that we're never going to meet, that when we get to heaven, they're going to be like, listen, you gave that money and you supported that missionary team and they came and they preached the gospel and we heard it and I'm here because of your generosity. And we might never see that while we're alive. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't be generous because it's bigger than us and it's bigger than the immediate gratification of getting a pat on the back. It might take time. It might take faith. It's a risk. What if it's all for nothing? What if it doesn't come to fruition? But I know that God sees it and is pleased when we give. When we give of ourselves. Thirdly, generosity involves sacrifice. It involves sacrifice. We need to give to the point when it hurts, when we feel it. And I don't, have a, I don't have a single scripture for this point because I want to take you through the life of Barnabas over a, over a period of time, over a couple chapters. Because Barnabas does something beautiful that we don't often do. He sacrificed his position in the church for the sake of Paul, for the sake of the ministry. So bear with me for a minute. Because in, 11, in, in chapter 11, verses 25 to 26... The scripture says, Barnabas goes to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. There's a theme here. Barnabas goes to look for Saul. Barnabas is the one who comes first. In chapter 12, verse 25, scripture says, And Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Barnabas is listed first. That's given a position of authority. Right? In chapter 13, verse 1, he's listed first among the leaders in the church of Antioch. In chapter 13, verse 7, Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul are summoned. 
But chapter 13 is, is a transitional, it's a pivotal chapter in the life of Barnabas. In verse 9, the Hebrew Saul becomes the Roman Paul. And Paul's ministry goes through a shift where he steps into his own as the evangelist to the Gentiles. And so his Hebrew name becomes the Roman name so he could affiliate and, and, and relate to that audience better. In chapter 13, verse 13, it says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos. Paul and his companions set sail. It's no longer Barnabas and Saul. It's Paul and his companions. And Paul does this amazing, beautiful thing where he says, it doesn't have to be me. I don't need the spotlight. I don't need the recognition. I don't need that position. Whatever you got to do, God. Whatever you got to do. If it means getting me out of the way, I'll do it. If I need to take the lowest position of service in the church that doesn't even have a title, sign me up. If it means the, if it means the kingdom goes forth, I'll do it. It's not the last time that Barnabas is mentioned. He actually... It's kind of funny. He comes first in the Jerusalem council. I think just because he had more wisdom at this point and had more experience and was more of a respected person at that time. But it becomes Paul's ministry. And not to say that Barnabas goes away. Not to say that he stops being effective. But in the biblical narrative, it's Paul's show from here on out. And we have such a hard time, I think, giving up that feeling of importance and prestige where we need to be valued and we need to be seen as appreciated and recognized. And don't you know what I'm doing? It's important. And God says, yes, it is. Don't think I don't see it. Barnabas was willing to go where he needed to go. Finally, the fourth measure of generosity is that generosity involves intention. Being intentional in what we give to. And this is the last place that we see Barnabas uh, in the biblical narrative in the book of Acts. In chapter 15, so you can turn there. Because I need to, it's a a sensitive place in scripture and one that we need to understand and, and fully explore because we had said that, that Paul and Barnabas went with John, who was also called Mark, and some of you know where I'm getting at with this. John Mark, young guy, full of gusto, full of pep. He goes with Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journey. And it was rough, <laughs> as ministry can be. <laughs> and midway through the journey, midway through the missionary trip. John Mark catches a flight home and says, I gotta go. I quit. He gave up 
in the middle of a missionary journey. He said, look, I got to go. I can't do this anymore. This is too hard. And just packed his bags and went back to Jerusalem. Starting with verse 13. Uh, I'm sorry. Starting with verse 36 in chapter 15. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of God, the word of the Lord, and see how they are. We're going on a reunion tour. We're going to hit the old spots. We're going to see how they're doing. Paul's like, great. Barnabas is, Barnabas is like, great. We're getting the band back together. Let's go. I'll, I'll call John Mark. We're going. But Paul thought best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Some of you are like, yeah, uh-huh, you ain't coming. No way. You bailed. And that, I mean, can you imagine, like, whew, when you're doing the group project and someone doesn't hold up their end of the bargain and then wants to be there for the presentation and, like, not, no, no, no grace for you. <laughs> like, I get Paul. I get his frustration and the bitterness and the hurt where, where they're going. They're doing God's work. And, and John Mark is just, bye, have fun. I can't do this. And now Barnabas wants to take him back. And I see in this Barnabas's intentionality. He's saying, I'm not going to give up on you. All that I am, as much as I have a right to say no, as much as I have a right to not give you another chance, generosity, right? Freely giving more than what is necessary or expected. Barnabas goes, I'll give you a second chance. And how many of us need that? Broken as we are, damaged goods. We need to hear God's generosity in that, where the church is willing to say, We'll give you a second chance. We'll give you another chance. And some of us need to be Barnabas and look at the people who have hurt us and say, I'm going to be intentional with you no matter what you've done because I understand the importance of giving myself to you. Barnabas was generous in every aspect of his life because he was there at the beginning and he was awed by God and saw what God had done and it changed something in his life where his life was no longer his own, but it was God's to give and to use as he saw fit. So whether that was physical possessions that he could give away to support someone, whether it was relationally investing in people, discipling people, or giving himself and sacrificing. I've heard it said that the true believer cannot bear to have too much when others have too little. 
Barnabas was just stirred in his heart and he was restless and had to give of himself. So I'm going to close with one more verse, one more passage that I think sums it all up and brings it all home and drives this point because I don't, I can't get you to give just by talking to you. This isn't going to do it. My words are not enough to get you to be generous to the extent that, that I think God is calling us to. You might know this. It's John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That so whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God so loved the world. Our giving needs to be driven by the love of God. The ultimate act of generosity that the universe, that history has ever seen. God sending his son to pay the price for us. Not because of anything that we say, not because of any creative campaign that we can dream up. But our generosity needs to be a response to what God has done in our life through the sending of his son. I'm going to call the worship team up and as they're coming, I'm going to leave you with three things, three things that I, that I think, three steps that we can take as we, as we step out into generosity as a church. And I know there's ways that we can celebrate as Summit. I know that there are people in here that are so generous with what God has given them. But I think we can always do more with whatever God has given us. So there's three things that I want us to do. The first is to look. Look at what God has done in your life. Look at the ways that he's blessed you, that he's been generous with you, because out of that is going to come the fruit of generosity. When we see how God gives to us, we're going to be compelled to give to others. And the second one is we need a list. We need to write out what we have to offer. You might think you don't have anything to give, but you do. I know that God has, has given you gifts of talents, gifts of skills that I don't have, that I can't serve the church with. And list who you can give with. It's a beautiful thing when you can give together and celebrate together. The last thing that I want to leave you with is to live. Live it out. Live generously. Don't make this a one-time thing. But live, adopt a lifestyle of generosity where it defines everything that you are and everything that you have, you give freely and are generous. We're going to close with this song, Jesus Paid It All, where we look on the ultimate gift and how as God cleanses us through the blood of his son, where Jesus paid it all, we can go. And be generous. Let's pray. God, I thank you. And I pray over this church right now. I pray as we 
wrestle with this and, and, and grapple with what you're calling us to give, whether it's our time, whether it's our skills, whether it's our relationships, God, whether it's our, our finances and possessions, whatever it is you're calling us to, I pray that we give cheerfully with joy because we see the work that's being done. God, the blessing it is. You said it is better to give than to receive, and I know that to be true. So, Lord, would you give us generous hearts? And it's in your name we pray. Amen.